your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 44 with me. Isaiah chapter 44. Years ago when I was in seminary, uh, we had a... People did crazy things their first year in their preaching class. And so one guy, one dear brother, he got the Bible and he threw it on the ground. And then he stood on top of it. And he looked at us in very serious ways and he said, Men, you've got to stand on the Word. <laughs> and our professor came up there and he said, Never do that again. <laughs> and what he was saying was, is you don't need a prop with God's Word. And the reason I tell you that story is because these are not props. Yesterday, they, these things were full of life. But this is exactly where we're going in Isaiah 44. It's a perfect picture of Isaiah 44. So, thank you, Lord, for your props, eh? Uh, we need to understand a few things uh, about the Holy Spirit as we move into Isaiah 44 this morning. Uh, first is, in the Old Testament, you see that when, when they were going to set a priest or a king apart, they anointed them with oil, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit for particular tasks. Now, as we begin to get glimpses, particularly in the book of Isaiah, of who the Messiah, the Savior of the world, is going to be that's going to come from David, one of the things that's promised there from Isaiah 42, like we talked about two weeks ago, is that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon him and will remain upon him. And so that's the reason it's so important that we see in Luke chapter 3, when Jesus begins his earthly ministry, What happens? The Holy Spirit comes upon him, and the Father from heaven says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. But it doesn't end there. Christ was anointed. But then there's chapter 44 in Isaiah. The promise of the Spirit being poured out on the believer who, before they're converted, are like dry ground, to make us alive spiritually. So that's where we are. We're just going to read verses 1 to 5 this morning, and then we're going to also bounce in the New Testament a bit. So I'm reading Isaiah 44, 1 to 5, from the English Standard Version. But now hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. They shall spring up amongst the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob. And another will write on his hands, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. Please pray with me once more. Oh God, what a truth that outside of the Spirit, we are, we're dry bones. We're dry and dead spiritually to knowing You, Father. We're enslaved to our flesh. And yet when we are converted, when we're born again by faith in the work of Jesus Christ, Your Holy Spirit comes down upon us, marks us, changes us from the inside out so that our heart goes from being dry to alive. 
Lord, and I praise you for that, God. We thank you that we are not orphans in the world, Jesus says to his disciples. But you've given us the counselor. You've given us the spirit, O oh Lord. And we want to walk in and be led by the Holy Spirit. And there's so much confusion about that. So teach us your word that we might apply it. And we might be a people who are filled with power, love, and self-discipline in the works of the Spirit. And God, be honored and be glorified as the carer of your people as we leave here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've been a believer for about three years and was working uh, teaching English in Asia. And there were several missionaries there that asked me, hey, you want to catch a ride with us to the capital city? And they were good Pentecostal brothers and sister. And I said, sure, I'd love to get some time with you. I didn't realize I was walking into a spiritual trap. And I got in the car with them, and I wasn't far down the road. And they said, Rusty, tell us about your spiritual life. And I told them, and then they pounced. And they said, yes, but have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And I was only a believer for three or so years. And I said, well, I, I think I've received the Spirit when I was a Christian. I know my life has changed and is changing. And they said, well, that's great and all, but do you prophesy? Do you perform miracles? Do you speak in tongues? And I said, well, I speak a little Mongolian, but no, I don't. <laughs> well, they said, you're a Christian, but obviously you're not baptized in the Spirit. And here's how you're baptized in the Spirit. And by the time we finished the ride, I was very confused. Isaiah 44, God gives a promise that he will pour out his spirit on Judah's descendants, that's the nation of Israel, so that we see a before and after, don't we? Before, they are like a thirsty land, dry, parched, where the ground uh, will produce no life. But when they receive the Holy Spirit as he's poured out, Isaiah says, their lives will become like a well-watered valley where grasses and willow trees grow and flourish. Now, um, as believers, if you're a believer in Christ, we live on the other side of the cross, don't we? Where Isaiah 44 has been filled, fulfilled at Pentecost as the Holy Spirit was poured out. But the church often has questions, don't we, about this. Have I been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And how do I walk in the Spirit? And do I need to be refilled with the Holy Spirit? Can I be refilled with the Holy Spirit? These questions about the Spirit often rob the believer of the peace of the gospel that Jesus gives us in John 14. And we think sometimes, well, if I struggle, do I still really have the Spirit? And we completely close our eyes often to all the ways that God has transformed our life, the grace He has shown us, and the promises that His presence, regardless of how we feel and might struggle, will not leave us. The seal of the Spirit is there. So here's the main idea today if you're taking notes. After you have received the gift of the Spirit by faith, go on walking in the power of the Spirit in your daily life. After you've been born again, you might say, and you've received the mark of the Holy Spirit, go on walking in the power of the Spirit in your daily life. Two things that we want to see. First is the promise of spiritual renovation. Now, look at verse 3 and 4 with me in your Bibles, Isaiah 44. Notice what he says. 
I'll pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I'll pour out my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up amongst the grass like willows by flowing streams. Now, I'm going to read you a few other Old Testament prophetic verses because this is a common theme. Joel 2, chapter 28, says it like this, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Ezekiel 39, 29 says, And I will not hide my face anymore from them. I will pour out my Spirit on the house of Israel. So let's start with this idea of dry ground, right, where Isaiah starts. He will pour it out on dry ground. This is referring to the spiritual blessings that will come. God's people at that time were compared, and I would say the unconverted, are compared to a dry or thirsty land or ground. So that means that there is nothing growing there. There's no fruit. It's parched. And the picture is, you might say, oppression and exhaustion and spiritually being very much separated from God. So their lives are described as thirsty and dry. And notice what God says. To your descendants, I will pour out. So it's a promise that to the descendants, God's going to do something radical to their lives. Now, these are the symptoms of the unconverted. The, The person who does not know God, who hasn't been born again by faith, they're spiritually indifferent towards worship. They're neither hot nor they're cold towards Christ. But from their hearts, there is no real evidence of the Spirit's work. All they know of Christianity is the externals. There there are no impressions and influences of the Holy Ghost in their life. They know the duty that God requires of man, but nothing of the intimate relationship that comes with God through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, yeah, that's right. Now notice God's promise here. He goes from the dry ground. I will pour water on your thirsty land. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring. He's using those two synonyms, water and spirit. Water is just a picture of what God will do with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be given to their descendants so that they come alive Towards knowing God. That's what it's saying. And notice how it describes it as streams. Do you see that there in your Bible? It's not just a one-off, but it's streams. Not a rainstorm that comes and goes, but it's a flowing river that is. So it means that the Holy Spirit will be permanently placed alive in the believer's life. And it has an effect. Verse 4 in your Bibles. Verse 4. They shall spring up like grass, like willows by flowing stream. Where there was dryness, now there will be life. Grass and trees will grow there. Fruit will be there. And he's just saying when people receive the Holy Spirit, when I do what I'm going to do, their hearts are radically going to change. They're going to be full of the spiritual fruits of knowing God. Now, that effect is individual. Verse 5. Look around in your Bibles with me. 
This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will say, call on the name of Jacob. And another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. Three times he says, this one, this one, this one. And he's saying this, there will be an individual effect. The Spirit's work will come on individuals. And so that one will say, my life is now the Lord's. And another will call on the name of Jacob, which means he joins God's people. Another will write the Lord's name on his hands, which means that that's his identity. That's who I belong to. And the idea is the Spirit works in one person at a time. Not just with emotion, but will change their hearts so they will want to live their lives belonging to the Lord. In other words, Christ is written on their hands. My life is His now. That's what happens when we receive the Holy Spirit. Those two go hand in hand. Now, in John chapter 4, you know the story. Jesus and His disciples are traveling to Samaria, and Jesus takes a little bit of a, a roundabout way, and He sends His disciples for food, And he goes to the well. Now, in that day, if you were a a decent man or woman, generally the women at that day went and got the water from the well. And if you had a a decent reputation, that you would come out in the morning, and the ladies would gather by the well in the morning and draw the water. What we see here, at 12 o'clock noon when they're there, there's a woman there which tells us that she's broken, tells us maybe she's a prostitute, tells us she comes from low, broken society. And Jesus approaches her, and he says some amazing things about the Holy Spirit. He says, hey, will you give me a drink? Right? And she's shocked. Why would this Jewish rabbi talk to me? So she says, how is it that you, a Jew, will even talk with me, a Samaritan woman? And Jesus responds very unexpectedly, what she wasn't expecting to hear. If you knew the gift of God... And who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. If you knew who I am, meaning I'm the Messiah, I'm the Savior, and if you knew the God's gift for dirty, broken, outcast people, you would ask for that gift and I would give it to you, and it's living waters. She hears that and she says, give it to me, <laughs> right? Give me the water. Here's how Jesus responds in front of this big well. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You see what he's doing? He's quoting Isaiah 44, Ezekiel 39, Joel 2, where God promised to pour out the Holy Spirit on individual people like a flowing stream in their life. And Christ says, I came to give that gift of God, His living waters to you, which is, of course, the Holy Spirit that He pours out. Now, my friends, the gift of God to us through the cleansing work of Christ is the Holy Spirit. And it transforms our lives. It makes us alive to knowing and hearing God. It renovates our lives by giving us spiritual sensations where before there was deadness to God. They were no longer dead. 
So Isaiah describes the unconverted heart as dry and lifeless. But practically, what does that look like in a very religious town like Dothan, Alabama, where the majority of the people say, yes, I've been baptized, and yes, I go to church? Well, I think the unconverted heart looks very much like an unconcern, indifferent, neither hot nor cold desires when it comes to worshiping Christ, where their interest in the world always precedes their interest in Christ. There is a difference between professing faith in Christ and being converted where the Holy Spirit enters our life. It is the difference between a dry valley and one with life and the river running through it. So you can think of it in terms of knowing and not knowing. The religious, unconverted person knows the externals of our faith. They've been educated how to imitate what they see in the hearts of the true believer. They know how to pray at meals. They know how to go to church occasionally. They know how to talk the talk. But to them, those things are dry because the Spirit is not giving them grace like a river in their life. There's no fruit that comes out of their life. But the true believer, the converted Christian Like Christ has received the gift of God, the Spirit, they know something different, don't they? They know the experience and presence of the Holy Spirit transforming them, giving them new desires, assuring them of grace when they struggle and fail, and real spiritual nourishment in times of prayer and reading of the Word and worship. They know that God has changed them, though they're not perfect. These are the things that Isaiah is describing that God will do in the life of the believer, and yet there's also the life of the unbeliever. Now, that's point one. I know that's a whole sermon, and here's point two. It'll be shorter. It'll only be a third of a sermon. Now, how does that work in my life? Let's get to the confusion. Point two, the presence of the Spirit's grace in the believer. I'm going to read to you Ephesians 5, 18, 5, 18. Of course, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's start with this idea of baptism. Are you baptized in the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? Well, John 1, This is what John the Baptist says. He of whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So John is saying, I pour water over you, but the Messiah Jesus, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul in the book of Ephesians and other places, he uses that same idea of baptize, but he calls it you're sealed with the Spirit. So in Ephesians 4, and grieve not the Holy Spirit whom you've been sealed with. Those two ideas are the exact same. Baptism of the Spirit, sealed with the Spirit, a one-time experience. When we become Christians, you receive the Spirit as a mark, as a sign. The Spirit is like God's seal upon your life that you are His, like a king putting his ring in hot wax in times of old. This is my mark. So the Holy Spirit is. It happens to all Christians. Romans 8, 9. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. 
So if you find yourself in a car with two missionaries in Asia and they say, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? You can say, yes, when I became a believer, I received the Holy Spirit. Okay, so baptism happens when I'm converted. We're sealed with the Spirit. But what about being filled with the Spirit? I'm going to break that up. Extraordinary and ordinary. There are times when you are extraordinarily filled with the Holy Spirit. This is through the whole Bible. It starts in the Old Testament. Exodus 31. Bezalel. I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and in knowledge and all the manners of workmanship. He was going to build the ark. God filled him with the Holy Spirit. In John 1, Luke's, John's mother, Elizabeth, says this, And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost, and she lifted up her voice and spoke. She was filled so that she might prophetically speak to Mary. But you say, what about after? What about after Pentecost when the Spirit's poured out? Right. Acts 2.4, the Holy Spirit comes down upon believer. He, Peter, he becomes a believer. Acts 4.8, listen. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said to them. It means he was filled at that time. Acts 4.31, and when they were praying, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen. With Peter again and again, before he is going to speak or preach or do something remarkable for God, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's the same for Paul for particular purposes. Now, does that still happen today? Absolutely. My brother-in-law was in Washington, D.C., and he's an evangelist, and he's much more filled with the Holy Spirit than I am. And he walked... That's a joke. And he walked by one of the big political buildings. And there coming down the steps was Jesse Jackson. And he said, Rusty, the Holy Spirit came upon me. And he said, I leapt up on one of the pillars. And as Jesse was coming down with his handlers, I yelled at him. He said, it was totally the Spirit. I said, Jesse, repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus. And Jesse looked at him like a wild, crazy man and turned and went the other way. It was that very week that the news broke that Jesse Jackson had been having relationships with other women and it had, had done some other things, had a child out of wedlock. Does the Holy Spirit still come on us for amazing displays of power? Absolutely. I would say for power, love, and self-discipline, like the Scripture says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you to display His power just like He did with Keith in amazing times. He will give you incredible ability to love when it's difficult. And He will give you extraordinary self-discipline in the face of amazing challenges and temptations. Now, let's move to the ordinary. And we'll close with this. Ordinary. Filled to honor God in daily life. Now we come back to that Ephesians 5.18. Be filled, he says, with the Holy Spirit. And the idea in the Greek is go on. Go on being filled. Let it be constant. And the idea is don't be under the influence of the wine, but be continuously under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Paul in Galatians 5 says, Walk been led by the Holy Spirit, which means your heart, your mind, your words, your life being led and controlled by the Spirit rather than by the flesh.
Now, how do we think and live this? How do we take this from our heads to our heart? And we'll just close with this. So, okay, Rusty, how, how do I go on being filled, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, there's do's and there's don'ts. God tells us be filled with the Holy Spirit, which is a command. Continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. First, don't grieve the Spirit. Don't allow the lust of your flesh to control and lead you so that sin in your life reigns without repentance. It grieves the Holy Spirit so His presence is not there in extraordinary ways of power. Second, don't quench the Spirit, which means when He's speaking to you, when He's calling you to certain things, we quench Him by not listening to Him. Listen to him as he speaks to you and act on what he says. So what are the do's? Well, remember who lives in you. 1 Corinthians 6.19 Don't you know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you? Your body is not alone. You have a great spirit living in you. God dwells in you. And you must know that and believe that. That your decisions don't affect your position But they do the presence of the Holy Spirit. Last, worship by the Spirit. Philippians 3.3 Respond to God's grace and love to you through the Spirit's leading. The Spirit Himself bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. For you receive the Spirit of adoption. And in worship, You seek that Spirit to cry out in you, Abba, Father. So in worship, cry out to your Heavenly Father with praise and thanksgiving, repentance and adoration so that God is glorified through your worship. And as we do that, we go on living in, being led by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Let me just pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you for your spirit. Lord, we know that we can quench your spirit with our sin when we say, my will be done. Not your will, my will. Or when we refuse to listen to him as he speaks to us, as he compels us. Lord, We want to be people who are sensitive to the Holy Spirit, who know His voice, who are guided and led by Him, and like Paul says, who worship in the Spirit, which means that we ask the Spirit to warm our heart. And as we worship God, we look to the Spirit to show us more of Christ. Oh Lord, fill us with Your Spirit. Let us walk in the power of Your Spirit day by day, overcoming your f- the flesh, O oh God, and glorifying You. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, and if you'll take your insert in your bulletin, you'll find the words to the...